toilet. Here we go. Games Arcade Weekly, a weekly arcade review show brought to you free each week, yes I said that word again, by the friendly faces over at WeTalkGames.com, which is under the umbrella of the Giant Media Ball Network. You can find out more about the Giant Media Ball at GiantMediaBall.com. I am one half of your hosting team, Kyle Von Kubik, and I'm joined with the J to my K... Oh, oh, me, John, John, John Capcom. John E. Capcom. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't, I'm not going for the big kind of verbose introductions. Never. Right I now. like it, though. It's the uh, the yin to my yang. The last time we were together uh, doing a solo show had to be the, what was it, Schmuptember? Like, no, I think we did something else after that. Earlier than that. Well, you know what? You're always in for a treat when it's John and I. Oh yeah, look, I mean, I haven't written anything down here, but I know we will end up talking about 90s cartoons eventually. Yeah, Denver the Last Dinosaur has got to get brought up at least once, (laughs) and I just hit that quota. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Fucking, how did I get sunglasses to fit a dinosaur's head? (laughs) It's, uh, oh god, that was so, so wild. I remember uh, being in work watching that on the work. Oh right, because you had no idea what the hell a Denver the Last Dinosaur was, and then I asked you about it, and you looked it up, and you were amazed. Oh yeah, because it's it's mind blowing. Like you know, he skateboards through the time tunnel from 2001: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> it's the intro, like you know. And uh, I was watching. I was like, if I had any video editing skills at all, I would do the reverse shot of the astronaut, like being freaked out, looking <laughs> at the. <laughs> That's time, effort, yeah. patience that I don't have. Copyright infringement. Oh, yeah, but that's what the internet is, isn't it? Yes, like, it is. It is. Hey, look, every week we talk games, and normally what we bring to you is... Um, Sorry, I just read, like, <laughs> this show was built on copyright infringement. <laughs> normally yeah. what we bring to you each week is a game you might not, you probably have not heard of. But sometimes we talk about games that are a little more well-known. John and I are more than happy to dedicate this episode to uh, Chris Hardwick, who plugged our show on his podcast and was hoping that we would talk about a game that he loved, very near and dear to his heart, Robotron 2084. And we are going to talk about that game this week, but... That isn't the main title we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about it's, uh, what would you say, it's grandfather or it's father? I guess it would be it's father. It's only... It's big brother. Two it's big years brother. The, yeah, two, two years, years removed. Uh, we're going to talk about Berserk this week, put out by Stern Electronics in 1980. And it's a overhead, uh, what would you describe it as, shooter? 
It's not really an overhead shooter because mm. you see the characters <laughs> inside profile. Yes, the the, uh, the the perspective is very rudimentary. <laughs> so it's like they're kind of shifting along the floor, if that's the case. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, there's no angeling across the floor. <laughs> what genre would you describe this game as? A uh, That's kind of a running gunner. Running gunner? Yeah, I'd say running gun, a multi-directional shooter. I realized when I was playing this, I was like... This kind of game is still being made, but they're endless runners now. Right. And there's a lot of twin-stick shooters that are out now where it has the same perspective. It's just the artwork's a little more polished, but they're still very flat. I didn't realize how weird the perspective in this game is until we just started talking about it. Mm. It makes sense when you're playing it because the characters are like a Mario or Sonic standing fully in like side profile, right? Yes. You can go along with that. and But there's a maze around them. Mm-hmm. That I'm assuming are at their walls. Yes, but I don't think the Cylons or whatever they are can see you over the wall, or can they? Because, I don't. That's uh, a great question. You know, I w- I was playing through it a little bit, and I don't think they can. I think they can only see you when you're actually in their sight, because that's when they were shooting at me. Now I didn't play Berserk very long for the purpose of the show, because I've been playing this game since I was like six. We talk a lot about Journey: The Escape on this program about how it ruined my Christmas when I was little, but we don't talk about the Atari games that I truly loved, and this was one of them. I didn't play it in the arcade till many years later, but that was one of my favorite go-tos. I had an Atari when everybody else was playing their Nintendo, the NES, so while people were playing Super Mario Brothers, I was playing Berserk. I didn't care. I fucking love that game. And all the bourgeoisie were playing their NES. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, I love the game. And uh, the Atari 2600 port is uh, pretty faithful to the arcade. But let's not jump ahead. The perspective is very strange now that we think of it. Because I would just automatically say it's overhead. But it's not. They're very like flat comic strip type of perspective. Where yeah, they're just like strange. flatly pasted onto this overhead maze. It works. It totally works. So as you said, there's Cylons in uh, these mazes, and they shoot at you, and you shoot at them. And it's, let me count now, eight ways, eight eight directionals, yeah. which, again, very advanced for 1980. I will say this as well um, about the Atari 600 version. That's the first version I played, too, but I played it when I was, like, 20. <laughs> A friend of mine bought an Atari, and I'd never played Berserk before, and, yeah, I immediately loved it. I thought it was just such a cool game. I yeah. played that, and I played Yars Revenge. Yars v- uh, Revenge, also a very good Atari 2600 game that I had, and I loved, and so weird. As an adult playing that game, I'm surprised as a child I could wrap my head around what the fuck you're supposed to be doing in that game. It's an abstract game. Of course, they kind of illuminated upon it with um, vinyl albums and comic books. <laughs> so I think the pure experience is where you've just got the card. Yes. That at home. It's a really great game, Yards of Avengers. But like to get back to Berserk, mm. I actually read an article in Retro Gamer that made me revisit it then years later because there's a bunch of weird little tricks in it. You were talking about the, like the eight-way, which is called shooting. And it's, I mean, I wanted to play the arcade version. And yes. obviously play this because it is a little bit more advanced. Yes, it is. The Atari version. It feels great. I'll say that. Like The, the shooting action in it feels spot on. Mm-hmm. Like The robot's are never really in an obtuse part of the screen. They're usually somewhere you can get them. Yeah, and which is not the case with the game we're going to talk about after this. No, no. But what's handy is if they are out of range, shall we say, you can kind of goad them 
I guess if you if you're near them, they will come after you, and you can kind of maneuver them to walk into one of the walls. Right. Because as you said, the, the maids walls, they will. Uh, the bullets from the robots will kill you. I think touching the robots will kill you, and the uh, touching the maze walls will obviously uh, kill you as well. Yes, the maze is supposed to be randomly generated, which again for its time, this is you got to wonder, was it a true gameplay choice or was it easier on the hardware that was available or is it a mix between the two? I would say it's a mix between the two. They had a pretty solid gameplay mechanic and what they would do for the the levels as you would go in and out of these rooms. Uh, we should say when you start the game, you're just dropped into a random room. Yeah. With some robots. It gives you a moment to figure out what you're doing, and it actually teaches you the game along the way. And we've talked about how important that is with good game design. I think this has solid game design. Again, I don't know if it's something they just sort of stumbled into or fell back on, or if they like legitimately knew they had something that would continue to inspire games even today. I mean, it inspired games for every year that this game was around there were all these other little copies along the way and now that the arcades are long gone and dead like we said there's just so many ipad games that owe their mechanic to berserk and its sequel frenzy uh so you're dumped into the the room you have a moment to figure out you know what character you're moving on the screen which is the little man pretty good running animation again for 1980 there were some better graphics out at this time not really from the western developers for the western developers this was pretty par for course it was very similar to like what williams was putting out and williams maybe there were more colors on the screen but for what this game was it didn't need it uh you're on a black backdrop which helps the contrast between you the robots and the maze it's very bright especially when you play it in the arcade and you move around you figure out you can shoot you figure out very quickly you can't touch the walls you figure out very quickly that uh when the robot does see you or you're in his line of sight he's going to shoot a bullet at you yeah if you're a little skilled you can figure out that oh i can shoot their bullet which is pretty cool when you can pull that off and you can you can attack the robots, and then you go into one of the two, three, maybe four exits, depending on the maze, off the screen. And you are in another room. And that is rinse and repeat for this game. But there's something about it where it starts ramping up the difficulty, so it always feels challenging. You do feel like you're um, progressing through whatever this may be, this um, lunar base or wherever the hell you are. But the random element of it makes humans. No, they hate humans. (laughs) And that's the other thing, too. No music to speak of, but some great voice sampling. And I would say that this game, see, for the making mechanics, I I couldn't think of a game that came out earlier than this that kind of really had the same vibe as this game. I only thought of games that came out after this. This is a proto Smash TV. Oh yeah, like this is the beginning of that family tree. And even if there was a game that came before it, this one it's the Steve Jobs effect where like Steve Jobs never really invented anything, but he'd take a piece of technology and put it in the right place so people would want it. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. If there was a game that had the same mechanics, this is the one that put it in the right box. Yeah, I mean, I could get real abstract with it and be like, well, you know, Atari's Gotcha is very similar because it's chasing around a maze and a screen. But it's it's not. You know, there's I couldn't find anything that was close to Berserk. One of the games I thought about that doesn't play at all like Berserk, but has the same sort of vibe is Sinistar. Yes, and, I actually taught that today. Like, Oh, uh, did you? Yeah, it was just something kind of inherent, I guess. Hmm. And uh, probably to do with Otto as well, right? 
Otto is what fed that note to me where if you stay on a screen too long, all of a sudden you'll start hearing uh, the robots chatter and they'll say, call you a chicken and tell you to fight like a robot. And you, you hear them say, like, destroy the human. And then Otto comes onto the screen, which is a smiling, like a happy face. And it starts bouncing around the screen and you cannot kill it, but it will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's basically there to like. You know, hurry up, get off this screen, move on to the next screen. And the reason it's doing that is because each screen that you progress to is ramping up the difficulty because, again, this is a business. They want a turnover on that machine. They want you to get off that machine so they can get another credit in there. But it works for this game, and it doesn't feel cheap until you start going through, you know, a dozen or so screens. And then it gets very difficult. There's a lot of robots on the screen. There are no power-ups. You don't get any stronger. But for a game of this vintage, nothing is out of place. Everything works. I thought you were going to mention the cloud balloon thing from uh, The Prisoner. <laughs> a rover? Yeah, yeah, because th- I thought that would appeal to you. Like, it is much like Rover in that it- Otto doesn't do the the how like Rover did, but Sinistar definitely does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I loved <laughs> setting up my wife on Sinistar because I knew she knew nothing about the game. Yeah, and she's I, just I, playing along, and she's like, "This is kind of boring." I'm like, "No, this is a cool game. You, you're mining. You're actually, you know, my, you know, you're collecting resources yeah. and stuff." And she's like, "Yeah, but like, you really like this game? Oh, I love this game." She's flying around. She's like, "The enemies are just bouncing off me." I go, "Yeah, well, later on they get a little more difficult." And then <laughs> she's like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> that was like, there's, I can think of two instances of that. Like, I remember uh, when Spud uh, from Hits Are Now. He found a disc that had Sinistar on it, and like I know he'd never really played it before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Throw that on right now!" And he didn't know what was going on. And like five minutes later, when Sinister screams at me, he's like, <laughs> "What the fuck?" I, well, it, for me to say early survival horror is so douchey, but it was one of those like jump scare moments in a well, video game. It's terrifying, and the thing is. I'm not sure if the video still exists, but I watched Keith play it one day um, on his YouTube stream. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, why was there going to play Sinistar? And he was like, oh, whatever. Okay, fine. And then, like, sure enough, when Sinistar came out, <laughs> he was like, oh, that is terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely does have, like, the auto thing. My, my wife said verbatim that Sinistar is one of the scariest games she ever played. She equated it to like when she first played Resident Evil and the dogs jumped through the window. Yeah, I yeah. would go along with that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like he taunts you when he's getting ready. Yep. That's the bit like. Run, eventually, coward, run. Eventually you, uh, like at first you're just frightened by him. Mm-hmm. But. Like after that, then you're like, oh, I don't want him to come back. Like it really <laughs> motivates you to beat him and to collect all the the Cinnabon pieces or whatever. Right, Sinistar is fucking phenomenal. So you see the connection there. So there there is that yeah. moment of when Otto first comes to the screen, not as terrifying, but there is this panic feeling when he first arrives. I think intuitively most of us would just try to shoot him, and then you realize you can't defeat him, so you're just running away from him. You you can kill him in Frenzy, though, can't you? The sequel. Frenzy, they try to develop him more as a character. There's actually, like, a giant auto uh, on one of the screens where he's, like, encapsulated and he wakes up and stuff. Frenzy is the direct sequel to this game. It came out in 1982, two years later. Definitely try to develop the characters of Berserk. There's not really characters, but, like, they try to make Otto more menacing, I guess, more like Sinistar in that game. There was also different types of robots. And there's different types of robots in Berserk, but they're denoted by color. 
There's yellow, red, and I believe blue. And they kind of all behave a little bit differently from each other. The yellow ones are your initial robots that don't really fire. They just walk towards you, and if they touch you, you die. The red ones will fire one bullet at a time, and the blue ones will fire um, two bullets at a time at you. And then, of course, there's all these different revisions to the board to make different types of colors in there and different types of firing behaviors and how many bullets they fire. But the pure version of this game, there's only three varieties of the robot. And then, of course, there's Evil Otto. There's uh, two pieces of trivia that I have here. You're talking about, like, mm-hmm. the combat in the game, I guess? Yeah. I read in Retro Gamer about the necktie trick. I don't know if you ever heard of this. No, tell me. You know the sprite of the man you play as? Okay. Like he doesn't have a neck. He has a head, then there's a little gap. Yes. And then his body, his shoulders begin underneath it. Mm-hmm. You can actually let bullets pass through the hole between his head and his shoulders. Never knew that, that was like a coined phrase for the game, but I was aware of that trick. And if memory serves me correct, I think that is something that carries over into the Atari 2600 game, although I'm not... A hundred percent sure. You can, you can, you can do, do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that and feeling very proud of myself wherever it was when I was playing it, and then the laser would shoot through it. And again, if memory serves me correct, I think it was a little easier on the Atari because of the speed of the bullet and how the sprites would snap to the grid that they were on, so you could line it up fairly easily. But that's cool. What is the is. other piece of trivia? Uh, have you ever seen the film Crank? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, no. I haven't seen it. I remember <laughs> when it came out, and I remember the trailer. Well, at the end of Crank, there's a ton of weird little video game references throughout the two Crank movies. Mm-hmm. But at the end of Crank 1, uh, Jason Satan's character goes in to use the bathroom. And the men's room logo is the little dude from Berserk. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's what's on the door. It's so cool. That's very and they cool. Don't, there's no uh, mention of it. It's just there in the background for you to see if you can huh. you know, if see it. You see it. I just thought that was really cool. And it's right near the end, last like 10, 15 minutes, if anyone wants to go back and check it out. If you're familiar with the Arcado t-shirt design I did, where it was funded on Kickstarter, it was pretty much every arcade game that I loved, or that I remember playing with my dad, because he was also into video games at the time, when they were a lot simpler. <laughs> before tennis bracelets got hot. Yeah, before tennis bracelets <laughs> got hot, and I lost my centipede machine, I'll never forget. <laughs> Uh, actually it was his it was his centipede machine to sell it just was another notch in the sorrow of my childhood belt you're like that was my birthright (laughs) now i have a pinball machine and a uh, cocktail arcade table i've got nothing to complain about now (laughs) but one of the characters on that shirt i did uh, as accurately as I could, the little Cylon character from Berserk. Because, again, I love that game. I played it mostly on the Atari, but it was my jam as a kid. It got the most burn in the uh, 2600. I believe the Cylon man is on the middle left. Oh, of that design? Yeah. Yeah, he's popping out. For those not familiar with the game, he might just look like some black blocks. Because, <laughs> you know, a lot of the characters I did my interpretation of, that character, the simplicity of that design, I just really dig. Yeah. It conveys everything you need to know. It's not human. It's something bad. Stay away from it. Did the game actually come before or after Battlestar Galactica? Hey, John, do you know when Battlestar Galactica actually came out? No, because that's why I had to look it up on Google. It was 1978. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, very well, very well. Yeah, so it definitely came out before uh, this arcade game. So they lifted heavily from that. Battlestar Galactica, of course, in Japan was known as Nobunaga's Ambition. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those games where it's just, it's a brick in the foundation that's the history of arcade games. And I, I don't think there is anything that I could add to this game to make it better. Yes, we could graphically improve it, or we could add music music to it, or we could add power-ups or something like this, but the game doesn't need it. It just works. Uh, I'm trying to think of a game that was as ubiquitous as this game, and this game seriously is ubiquitous because at the time, this thing was ported to just about everything. The Coleco, the Atari, the Vectrex, all of the British computers. They might have changed the name of it. Like, I know the... I want to say the Amstrad or the ZX Spectrum called it Robot Wars. It was the same thing. <laughs> well, that was because it was a bootleg. Yeah, exactly. But this yeah. game went everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Because the mechanic just works so well. And there's so many knockoffs. Pulsar was a knockoff. I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, well, another game that we talked about, Wall Street. Okay. Oh, um, terrible, <laughs> terrible game. Came out a year later than Berserk. But one of the two game mechanics, when you're not doing your Game & Watch trampolining the uh, fetuses into the ambulance on the first level. Hey, if you haven't heard our <laughs> review of Wall Street, be sure to go to WeTalkGames.com and look it up. It is one of the worst games we've ever played. Not as bad as Mutant Fighter, but it's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mutant Fighter is in a league of its own, though. <laughs> Mutant Fighting League. But uh, my favorite part of Wall Street is the voice sample at the beginning. Yes. It sounds like the lead singer from like the Pet Shop Boys or something. <laughs> Wall Street. You know, yes. but, <laughs> so it's not the level where you're bouncing the babies into the ambulance. It's the second level where you're a tank and you're grabbing money from the communists, I think. If I remember the, the <laughs> plot did. of Wall Street. Correctly? Famously cash-heavy, the old uh, communist. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that game kind of ripped off Berserk, too. There was a game that came out a couple years later that actually took the mechanic and arguably improved upon it, and that was 1982's Robotron 2084, put out by Williams Electronics, and it was designed by, most famously, Eugene Jarvis and Larry DeMar. Uh, Poro, Larry, the Mike Collins of uh, video game design. But, uh, yeah, anyway, fucking, let's talk about Robotron, because uh, that's... Let's. So this was, uh, again, this was the game that Chris Hardwick wanted us to talk about, and we decided this was the best time to talk about it, because we originally wanted to discuss <laughs> uh, 1991's Battle for the Solar System, put out by Jalico, but it was subcontracted to uh, Microprose. Yeah, which was a weird name to see on an arcade game. Microprose to me says 8-bit microcomputer. And yes. The name is in there, Microprose, like, you know. Right. It's, um, yeah, there and were, it's no surprise it didn't work in MAME because I can only imagine how, like, obtuse the hardware is <laughs> to yeah. produce the very impressive 3D. Real quick on that game, the reason why we want to talk about it and the, why it has a connection to all of this is it plays very similar to Blaster, a game that we discussed in previous episodes for Schmuptember. Only it has that 3D veneer about it. And for 1991, it's pretty impressive. It's very similar, uh, just to describe the 3D real quick, it's very similar to that early 90s era of virtual reality, where it was very, like, blocky, simple polygons. Star Foxy. 
Star Foxy, just not as good. Yeah. We wanted to discuss it because it has that kind of feel about it like it does with Blaster. And the reason why we distilled all that down to Berserk is because Blaster is the sequel to Robotron, but plays nothing like it. <laughs> Robotron plays very similarly to Berserk, but it takes the maze element and the randomly generated levels away, uh, instead replacing it with a fuck ton of shit on the screen. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's kind of beautiful it is beautiful and it i would describe this as i mean it is a multi-directional shooter but going back to what you said about yars revenge i would call this an abstract game oh yeah it's a i mean there is a story essentially you are a please tell us oh well uh, you're a little robot or a man i'm not sure because you don't have a human head Right. The little sprite you're playing as looks like that. Well, if you, do, if you beat the game within 45 minutes, the robot takes off all of its clothes, and it's a uh, green-haired girl in a bikini. Oh, wait, that's Metroid. I'm sorry. Uh, I have no okay. idea what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm going to do with this erection now, but anyway. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> like, it looks like the little annoying arsehole psychic from the Power Rangers. <laughs> Oh yeah. man, what was his name? I don't know. He was Book Rogers. Ay, 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 ay. <laughs> yeah. What was that dick's name? Uh, you keep talking about the story. I'll find out what his name was. <laughs> I forgot his, no, his, his signature noise. His signature, his catchphrase. Ay, 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 ay. Yeah, he was like the update of the Book that Rogers. Sh- thing. That character is why I never got into. Well, I was also a little, little old to be watching that. I think I was like 11, maybe 12 when that show came out. But I I remember I was hanging out with a friend and like he was into it. And he's like, you got to see it. They fight monsters and robots. And I'm like, all right. And like I watched like an episode with him and that fucking thing. Rangers. I was like, this is stupid. This is baby shit. And I I never got into the show because of that. And I apologize. I know a lot of our listeners grew up with that show and love it. And I'm not taking anything away from them or their fandom for it. That character just took all the piss out of it for me. I couldn't. I just couldn't handle that show. It was. I enjoyed it when I was a kid. It had kung fu fights in it and cool big monsters and robots and stuff. Mm. When you go back and look at it, I mean, it's held together with tape and uh, it's, <laughs> a lot of you know, a lot of foam costumes. Yeah, best left in the past. Like you know, look. I'll say this, right? You throw up an image of uh, the Green Ranger, and I'll always kind of mark out for <laughs> it's the was, shoulder pads. Yeah, he was pretty cool. You know, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, it just reminds me of that little fucker from uh, from Power Rangers. Well, I'm sure I had no problem with as a kid, like you know. But like now, if I tried to watch an episode of Power Rangers, I'd end up just just killing myself. <laughs> but, um, he looks like that, and basically there are little humans running around the world, or the board, or whatever, mm-hmm. and then there are robots trying to kill them and you. And I believe Eugene Jarvis, he said his idea was it was like Blade Runner or something, if the um, the robots had completely taken over and were rounding up humans. Or like right. Terminator or something like that. So it's that kind of like sci-fi thing. I'm sure it would have conveyed that kind of dystopia if 
<laughs> didn't look like little Lego people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and very again, this is Williams now. This is Williams yeah. Electronics, and this fits very much into their sensibilities with art direction and color palettes. So yeah. things materialize and dematerialize in the game into particles. What would you say? They they materialize with like all the pixels would come from off camera onto camera and yeah. create something, or it's in like reverse, reverse destroy. It's like a reverse dissipation. Yes. By the uh, way, that little dick's name was Alpha Five. Alpha Five. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking it would be some fucking R two D two rip off. <laughs> but um, so yeah, so uh, so Williams Electronics particles blasting all over the screen, black backdrop. Bright colors. Think Defender. Think Turkey Shoot. They, they use the same colors in pretty much every game. Like it's weird. The colors contrast really well with the black background. Yes. It's just like bizarre kind of raster graphics, but like has this weird neon feel to them. Yeah, it worked for Berserk as well. But in this game, there's more colors on the screen, and they're like a hot pink, bright red seafoam green on robots you know it it wouldn't be the intuitive choices for other developers at that time but for williams for whatever reason like it worked for them and what they put out whatever hardware they were using left uh, their colors a real vibrancy they just went for it the thing about this game is like where you were talking about berserk and how well it plays you can throw all the graphics you want on top of this and it'll still never make the game any better the game itself is so fucking solid. Yes. You know, I'm not sure if it was the first twin stick game. It may not have been. It's definitely the first one that popularized it. Right. If that's not the I case, agree with like, that. you know. So in lieu of a maze, you are just dumped onto the screen. Yes. Uh, and they just throw a ton of enemies around you. And where Berserk was a little forgiving in the earlier stages to let you learn what you were doing, this game cranked panic up to 11. <laughs> um, at the very beginning, I think you have like, it's either two or three different variants of robots coming at you. You're somewhat center in the screen and you're trying to rescue different humans along the way. And all the while, these things are quickly approaching you, trying to surround you, and then later on, they're trying to shoot you. Yeah, and they swarm a lot as well. They, like, immediately swarm. It's weird, like, they swarm onto you. Like, antibodies attacking a virus. Yeah, okay, yeah. Which makes it a better depiction of the human body's inner workings than bioattack without even fucking trying. (laughs) Just putting that out there. (laughs) We're sorry we made you play that game. Uh... Fucking first world problems anyway, but uh, you better learn fast or your money is done. Yeah, this is much more difficult than Berserk. It does feel, and what I was going to say, is it feels a little cheaper at times, but there is something very alluring about the game. It's challenging, and what I wanted to say was it feels like a challenge, which is kind of a stupid thing to say, but it's a challenge that I want to accept, if that makes sense. There are games that are challenging that you don't have fun playing. This game is the opposite of that, at least for me and John. I want to keep playing, and it is sort of this watermark where I want to see how many waves I can go through, what my top score can be. It's one of these early arcade games where the points matter. You can just sort of thread the needle or weave through the robots and get to the the human survivor, or you could rack up points. So there's a few ways you can play, and it's not about an end screen. It's about racking up the points. So like, yeah, you can just weave your way early on to grab the human, but that's not going to be the way to play the game, to be a champion of that game. It's all about like, these guys are coming at me, and I'm going to annihilate all of them before I 
go to the goal. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah. It encourages you to be brave. It's probably mm, the way to yeah. put it. Like you know, it's like you you should want to fight these robots. Like you know, that's the whole point of the game. Yeah, and this too, this had uh, like a lot of success, and it was on just about everything again. It, it got ported to many, many different home consoles and computers and games that it inspired later on you know again i go back to smash tv which i think is a good example but i think geometry wars is actually a more contemporary title that's very similar to this game oh yeah uh, smash tv obviously made by eugene jarvis as well as i believe you, I, I didn't even i didn't even make that connection but you're absolutely correct i think total carnage he made as well if you remember i that. believe so not really a sequel more of an update to smash tv mm-hmm. uh, there's one out there as well that i think will definitely interest you uh, if you have an eye device mm. you can get jeff minter's minotron 20 yeah i do have this and I fucking love that version of it. This was a very early iOS game. Jeff Minter is um, way into llamas, <laughs> and yep. he's into minotaurs and other things. He's a very creative dude, and um, he made a very what would you call it? It's like a, it's almost like a soft reboot or a homage to the game, but it plays just differently enough so it, it's not like a port. And obviously, he changes the sprites to all be cows and llamas and minotaurs. Yeah, there's a Pink Floyd uh, yes, that plays, and yeah. I fucking love it. I, it's from um, Dark Side. From, is it? I thought it was from Animals. We're gonna go with it's a riff from the Pink Floyd song "Time" off the Dark Side album. Know, are, which, are we good with that? Yeah, yeah. All I, right, I, let's <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, because you know what the the power up from when it plays is the album cover art of the prism with the rainbow coming out of it. Oh okay. So that would make sense. There's like cold cans laying around as well, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another one who doesn't mind infringing on copyrights, uh, Mr. Jeff Minter. Oh yeah, I mean like a lot of his games are just remixes. Yeah, it's a very uh, solid remix. What I was getting to with the early iOS game is he made the game for the hardware. And especially in that time, there were a lot of games that didn't control very well with the uh, iPad controls touching the screen or the iPhone. This game's solid. Yeah. It works very well. You put both your – there's nothing on the screen to show you like a D-pad or joysticks or anything. You just put both your thumbs on the screen and start wiggling about. It's very intuitive. At least it was for me. You'll pick up the game. And again, it's Robotron but with Minotaurs. Yeah. <laughs> it is exactly that. It's not like – you're going, oh, he added a whole load of new uh, mechanics. No, it's just Robotron. That- <laughs> the effects are a little more polished. Because, oh, again, yeah. now you have these weird, like, wavy moments and the lighting effects and stuff that, that happen. But overall, yeah, that's what it is. But it's fun. It's it's oh, fun, yeah. and I really enjoy it. So two very similar games with very similar mechanics. We love them both. And I, I don't want to put one above the other. They play differently enough so they stand on their own. Obviously, Berserk would be a lead-in to your Robotron 2084. I think both are worth a look, despite whatever genres of games you're into, because I think these two games are very important for the, the foundation, the history of video games. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's weird, like, for me, like, as I said, I played Berserk in my 20s, and I went back and played probably Robotron around that time as well, mm-hmm. because this was at, like, if you remember the, the, the 90s in particular... It was all about forward momentum and graphical inertia. Yes. You know, where it's like, it has to, what's the new thing? What's the new update? And it was all about, like, we all remember the console wars, where it's like, this yeah. console now can do 17 bits of sound and all the right. rest. It was the numbers game. You know, 32, 64, 128, you know, whatever. Yeah, and I think with the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox and all that, 
for the time being, I think home hardware kind of plateaued, mm. and that was a long generation. PS2 era was a long yes. kind of thing. So, and even the generation that came after that. The oh, yeah. 360 and the PlayStation 3 hung around for a very long time because – and you saw this sort of renaissance of the arcade style of game because it was like, okay, we can make things photorealistic, but is it fun to play? But that's what I'm saying. Like, there was such a length of the console's lifetime mm-hmm. that everyone was hungry for content. So, And I'm sure they never get it now, but like if you remember back in the day, you could get like the Capcom collection, the Taito collection, yes. the Midway collections. And it seemed like that was the first time where we had such a long kind of life cycle of a console that everybody kind of stopped for a moment and kind of looked backward a little bit. The retro thing started to happen around that mm-hmm. time, like mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. I don't think retro really applies that much anymore. I think people just have a healthier appreciation for video games as a whole over time. Because yeah. a lot of these games were lost. Like The majority of people couldn't get made to work. You know, didn't even know what MAM was probably. But they could right. throw a disc into their PlayStation and get it going. Like Those compilation discs. If you want to play Berserk and you want to play Robotron, there's a million ways to play it. And you don't have to steal it on online either. You can legitimately own these games in one of these many compilation discs. The Midway ones are very good. And in that PlayStation 2 original Xbox era, before the indie scene was really blowing up, there was a lot of these discs out there, and if you can find them, I mean, it kind of started in the PlayStation One era too, because Namco had like a whole series of discs. Oh yeah, the Namco Museum and uh, right. Williams had their own one as well. I remember they weren't that popular, though. I don't remember them being very popular. No, the PlayStation One era, everybody was still trying to make their polygons not look like turds on yeah. the screen. But yet at the time, it was all about that, and we accepted it all. Like, oh, it's 3D and it's moving around and. It's got shitty controls and shitty camera angles, but whatever, we accepted it for the time because that was the hotness. Then, as John described, in the PlayStation 2 era, we plateaued and things started to get stale and you did see more of these discs. And again, this was before that indie scene. But once the indie scene and once the microtransactions and once the digital downloading content happened... Then these discs all went away, you know, oh, especially yeah. when the Wii came out and it was a virtual console. <laughs> I, we used to charge nineteen ninety nine for a compilation disc of forty of these games. We now we can hit them for nine ninety nine for one. I'm sure there was probably employees sent out to snap these discs up, <laughs> going garage sure there... sales and retro game stores. Oh yeah, like you buy your Taito Legends collection. There's fifty games on it, and yeah. they're just they're going. Here's a bunch of old rope. Nobody wants this. Like you know. And yeah. then they realized, old rope, Jesus, you can bleed these fuckers for it. Like, <laughs> one of the biggest announcements one year at E3 was that X-Men Arcade was coming to... Oh, I know. ...to the Xbox. And they're going, it's crazy. And people were so excited for it, and it did great business for them. Yeah, or you know? do you remember when uh, Turtles, the, yeah. the, the Konami brawler... Again, huge deal when that was coming to Xbox. And it's not even one of the best brawlers, you know what I mean? But it was because all that nostalgia behind it, everyone was, especially at that time, not every, like you said, not everybody was emulating or knew how to do that, you know? And one of the best ones I thought, and if anyone's ever picked it up, the Final Fight Magic Sword Duo download, that's amazing. I felt at the time strange playing it because they emulated Phosphor Burn in the game itself like the kind of scan line uh, thing going on but like phosphor glow at the the periphery and stuff and uh, it's really but there were i think the win cowix emulator back in the day 
used to emulate the old scam lines. Oh, well. did it? I wasn't familiar with that one. I knew what a WinCowix emulator was. Right. But the majority of people didn't. Yeah, yeah. I think my first uh, emulator was Nesticle. Wow. <laughs> and it was a NES emulator. Yeah. Uh, the icon on your desktop was a ball sack. And the cursor, it was a DOS program. And the cursor within the program was a uh, cutoff hand where blood would drip out of the wrist. And we snuck it onto every computer in our school. And when we were supposed to be doing whatever you're supposed to do in computer class, we were playing Punch Out and Excite Bike. Can I guess that the the emulation probably wasn't all that sound? No, the, a lot of ROMs didn't work back then. But that was, again, par for course of that time. A lot of early emulators, if you had a dozen ROMs play, you were you were lucky. You know? That's just so fucking of the time, though, isn't it? I'm going to call it after balls. <laughs> yeah. 1998 or thereabouts, I'm sure, yeah? Uh, I think earlier. I think it was, yeah, it was probably 97, 98, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Everybody had two back then. <laughs> yeah, programmed by Momfucker88. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so movie taglines. Whatever movie tagline we come up with would probably work for either game. So let's uh, let's come up with some movie taglines for Berserk and or Robotron 2084. So, John, what would be your movie tagline? My movie tagline for Robotron will be where do white women at? <laughs> uh, normally in the right corner of the screen. <laughs> My movie tagline would be, when Chip falls madly in love with a computer whiz, she turns out to be not quite human, too. Okay. You're not familiar with that movie? <laughs> Chip. All right, and now here is T.T. Schmookins with next week's We Talk Games, Video Power Magazine's Arcade Weekly Arcade Game Audio Clue. We shall see. Hello, I am T.T. Schmookins. Here is next week's We Talk Games, Video Power Magazine, Arcade Weekly, Arcade Game Audio Clue. Good luck, dudes. <gasps> John, before we go, let's do our clues for next week's game. Why don't you start? My clue for... I was about to say the name, but... Um, <laughs> my clue for next week's game is... I guess this is Vib Ribbon's dad? Oh, I like your clue. My clue's a little more douchey. <laughs> Are you ready for it? Well, actually, if you think about it, this is like a proto-Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> you do have to get all three all right everybody i hope you enjoyed uh this week's show i know john and i did and if you did enjoy this week's show please like comment subscribe leave us a review wherever you download the show and you know what else is really helpful just tell a friend recommend the show to a friend somebody who finds you to be a tastemaker in their life really you would you wouldn't believe how helpful that is and also be sure to follow us on twitter at we talk games and on facebook wtg podcast hey john did you ever figure out your password for twitter i didn't Shit. Well, I, i'll be able to in the next while once i'm arsed okay i <laughs> uh, see the thing is i use twitter on my phone and uh, my old phone died and stuff mm. uh, but now i got a new one so I'll, I'll figure it out. All right. 
It's not sweet cans one two three like your I mean, Facebook password. I oh, whoops! Mean, if if only I'd been that present, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, for John E. Capcom, I am Kyle Von Kubik. Thank you very much for listening, and we will talk at you again next week. Oh, no.